This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hi, and welcome to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and this week I am excited because I am joined by Shana Abe. Hello, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. For for the next 10 seconds, I think my dogs are going to be quiet. (laughs) I can't guarantee that my dogs will be at any given time. Yeah, no, there's no no long-term guarantee on this, but um, (laughs) I'm really excited to talk to you because so as I'm sure you know, being in the Titanic community, there's some like names that continually float around like the big ones. And one of those names that does float around quite a bit is Miss Madeline Astor. Yeah. And you wrote the book, The Second Mrs. Astor, which is a historical fiction about um, Madeline and her life, right? Yes. How did you, so I know who like my, it's so weird people like, who's your favorite Titanic person? I'm like, that's such a weird word. Like it's it's a weird it's a weird question yeah, it's, it? it's a little bit like favorite hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like interesting question but like for me I know the answer is Murdoch but what is it about like I just getting like what is it about Madeline that made you want to write a book because like committing to writing a book for any I've never written a book but I like writing but it's like committing to write a book is that's a that's a big big deal yeah you gotta really like what you're writing about yes that's true and and I will be blunt Titanic was not my idea it was my publisher's mm-hmm. idea and Fair. they went to my agent and said do you know anybody who could write this book? Mm-hmm. And my agent knew that I love that time period, the Gilded Age. And and she came to me and I'm like, I've got it. I've got a great idea. I've got a great idea. And they said it could be anybody on Titanic, fictional or real. So I decided to just take a shot and do a fictional and a real person. So I chose Madeline. And then I invented a fictitious um, teenage girl stowaway mm-hmm. from Ireland at the last port of call. And my, my my publisher came back and said, you know, lose a stowaway, but write about Madeline. She's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't like your original ideas. How about you just right, use the right? ones that already exist? <laughs> Thanks, Jam. I was like, I can do so much with a stowaway, but all right, no. But well, just put that in your pocket me. for later. That sounds like a really <laughs> fun story. <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, I, I was interested in Madeline because I didn't know that much about her at mm-hmm. first, just the bare bones of her story. And the more I learned about her, the more I'm like, how come people aren't talking about her more how come we don't remember who she was Mm -hmm. and how famous she was during her time considering you know considering now like people people don't really think about her so much Mm -hmm. or they didn't maybe before the book but um, I thought she was a very interesting character I thought the story of her and Jack together their their scandal and their love and the tragedy of course that he died and she lived Mm -hmm. while she was five months pregnant with their son it was just very touching I mean it was it was almost like a story that just basically wrote itself. And I just mm-hmm. had to do the research. I got to say that just as, as, a, as a global statement out into the world, I don't necessarily condone people in their forties and fifties dating people in their teens. Just like, I feel like morally, I feel as though I should put that out in the world. Like, I don't necessarily know if I encourage uh, that yeah. kind of relationship. Cause I, I've done the math like 38 times. And then every time I freaking forget he <laughs> at the time of, because they met when she was 15, no no they met when she was 17 17 sorry I was like I'm really bad with yeah. Nate and he at yeah. the time of their meeting was in is like 45 
40s? Uh, he was uh, he was 29 years older than she. So okay. you did that math because I can't do math in my head. <laughs> I'm really bad at math. So let's see. 30 plus 7, 40, 46. Okay. okay. So, I mean, I, I mean, and this is not to say that all people, you know, all relationships with age gaps are toxic. It's just as a global rule, if you are 19 and most 46-year-olds approach you, I would say, as yeah. a general rule, please proceed with caution. They could be great men. And if, and if they are, they are the exceptions to the rule because there are, of course, you know, great men of all ages. Um, but even in today's age and even back then as well, when it was a little bit more common to have, you know, older men and younger women together, mm-hmm. their relationship, as you mentioned, was still like <gasps> quite the scandal, actually. Yeah. It wasn't just the age. It was the fact that he was recently divorced from mm-hmm. Anna. Um, and they had a miserable marriage, but, you know, they were of the social circle where divorce was just not a thing that people did. Right. And so the fact that they decided to do it anyway, after his mother died, that took everyone aback. I mean, they're like, why can't you just lead separate lives and separate continents? Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to do that. They just, they really disliked each other very much. So much so that, you know, it was rumored that, that their youngest daughter, their daughter was not even his child. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, so, but I mean, yeah. if the rumors are going around, that's enough to suggest like whether or not that's true, as you mentioned, it's kind of like that just it, it rumors don't come out of nowhere. There was there was public there was public disrest in the marriage. Yes. Yes. Everybody from what I understand, everybody knew they were just miserable together. And he was kind of considered to be this kind of grumpy, sour, reclusive guy until he got divorced. And then he started <laughs> a bit. Yeah. I I saw a TikTok recently where a woman says, have you ever been in a relationship so toxic when it ended, people started congratulating you? It sounds like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, yeah. Um, If you're married, I can... I can say this firsthand. If you're married to the wrong person, Mm -hmm. divorce is a relief. It is a relief. And so I I get that. Yeah, no, there's there's a YouTuber I really like named Luxaria. And she said something once that was like, it's not a failed marriage. It's a successful divorce. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's totally true. Yeah. So he, after the divorce, he started- The successful divorce. A successful divorce. He started just becoming, coming out of his shell a bit more and and smiling more and telling jokes. And people were like, who's this guy? So- um, A free man. (laughs) And that is when he met Madeline. And you can imagine how kind of intoxicating that was for him to suddenly have this very pretty young girl just- girl I hate to say that word young woman will say this debutante I say 19 is still a girl I think that's actually being yeah. fairly generous that's not to say that teenagers are children but you know 19 right. is still it, that's really yeah. young especially yeah. at that time when you were very sheltered right yeah there's, a, there's an yeah and there's that there, there's an additional element of like naivete and youngness I, I'd say that's pretty fair to say that Madeline would have been a girl at that that point so yes so he meets her she's she genuinely likes him she genuinely is interested in what he has to say she's not dismissive or rude or you know there's no antagonism between them it's, it just must have been so refreshing and wonderful for him and for her yeah. I mean she's she's basically just making her debut and here's this famous sophisticated older man paying attention to her and interested in what she has to say I will say that in all my research I never came across anything except in the scandal sheets suggesting that she was a gold digger and he was like a Mm -hmm. pervert or whatever. Um, Their firsthand accounts through their friends suggest that they were just totally smitten with each other. Like it was a mutual infatuation with each other. So I, I choose to believe (laughs) that that is the truth. Mm -hmm. We'll never know for sure, but I think that is the truth. Um, I think that 
after his death, she was genuinely devastated. And and she just had to soldier on without him because she mm-hmm. didn't have a choice. But, I mean, she was never the same again. So. No, I can imagine. There's two things at, at play at that night. Number one is just escaping a shipwreck is is a, is a harrowing ordeal. And then to lose your husband right. is a completely separate ideal. And I don't remember the time. Did she know that she was pregnant on the voyage or was that something she discovered really quickly after? Oh, she was, she knew she was pregnant. The, I've, yep. Yeah. She was five months pregnant. Yep. Yep. Before. So it's, it's, you're losing your husband and the father of your impending is not the word that I wanted, but like you, your forthcoming child. Right. Right. You're, that's, you're, that's an incredible trio of loss. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I can only imagine how grief stricken she was on top of that you know, was the press following her around and suddenly she was the girl widow. That was actually from the headlines that I read. The tragic girl widow. So suddenly That's what I want printed on my gravestone. What kind of macabre nonsense is that? <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I mean it's not it's like it's funny now, but it's like can I'm just thinking back like to be, if I'm pretending when I was like 20 years old, firstly, you have no grasp of your emotions. You are still developing at 20. Right. You are a widow with a baby and people are following you around calling you the girl widow. I would have lost my mind. I I don't know how she held it together, except I mean, she was lucky that she had her family yeah. to support her. Mm-hmm. That was her anchor, I guess, besides, you know, before or rather after his death, he was her anchor and then they were. So yeah, yeah. she did have them. But still, it must have been just unimaginable in some way to have to navigate that series of events in that world. And then, you know, she never, for the rest of her life, the press never left her alone just because of that, just because she was married to Jack and they were on Titanic. So you see a little bit of this. I've been pulling a lot of pop culture references for this episode, but. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 33. So I remember one of the big sort of pop culture moments involving the press and paparazzi was the Britney Spears. Uh, I don't want to say meltdown because that's really unfair to her, but it was the sort of witness. It was the continual harassment of a woman in crisis. Right. Exactly. And it, I kind of get the sense that that's what happened with Madeline. And it's sort of like, whether or not you think she was, or wasn't a gold digger or whatever, it's like you endorse I find it hard to believe that those people would still endorse harassing her. It's like, no matter what the outcome would be, it's like, that was a young mother, a young widow and a young mother mm-hmm. doing her best. And it's like that, again, just must've been super difficult because you're never left alone to process things. And it's super important to process. And yeah. I talk about this a few times on my show and that we don't have, they didn't have better help in 1912. She couldn't pick up her phone and dial a therapist and just be like, Hey, I'm having a really hard time right now. Do you have time to talk? But it wasn't how things were for her yeah yeah um like i said it must have been just trauma after trauma after Mm -hmm. trauma i i I can't imagine it myself i mean i was writing it and Mm -hmm. thinking dang i when i was doing the research for the for the story up until uh, from her for from the moment she got engaged till after the ship sank except for the brief period when they were on their honeymoon i was able to track through newspaper articles basically every step she took in public, like where she went, who she was with, what she ate, where she ate, what she wore, what she bought in the jewelry store or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of gross. It's it, it it must've been so invasive and so horrifying. Um, There's a little bit in the story about how a photographer approaches her father 
trying to get a picture and he chases the guy off with his stick and the photographer gets that shot and that's really true <laughs> I mean, that's what they were doing to her Good. when they couldn't find her they would go after them i mean that was in a sense that was them doing their job that was their bread and sure. butter and sure. um, you know just like paparazzi today harassing famous people mm-hmm. trying to get that one shot that one really great shot where they can make a lot of money yeah so. i I'm not a big fan of celebrity culture. If anyone gets me alone for more than 12 seconds and asks me about it, I will just go off about it. I'm like, why do we give so much to these people? And because at the end of the day, I think it boils down to, for me and my brain, I'm like, they're people. Yeah. Like yeah. not trying to be mean, but it's like, what's so special about those people? But at the end of the day, I'm like, they, they're people, leave them alone. Like I may not like certain celebrities, but it's like, do I think that they, the people should be hanging outside their window, staring in? Absolutely not. Let them eat their fucking yeah. lunch. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, it's bloody I, ridiculous. It's like, you, it's like you see some of the shots they take. It's like, dude, he's tucking in his shirt. You can't yeah. tuck in your shirt into your jeans in private anymore. That's bananas to me. Like, is that even a good shot for you? Is that a good <laughs> shot? Good Lord. And it, oh my God. This, this, I play roller derby. And so people will take, you know, you, you take action shots. And not every shot, if you've ever seen like those Olympic photos of like faces of the Olympics. Yeah. Not every photo is a flattering photo. That is and, true. and some of them are just funny and you can laugh about them, but some of them are embarrassing. You know, do you, you think about this photo of this man running down after a reporter with a stick? I'm sure this, this is a funny story. It's like, dude, look at this crazy man. It's like, but you think about it as like, how, how long have you been harassing his daughter? Yeah. Because sure, this is a funny, you know, picture of a man with a stick, but it's also like, frustrated father defends harrowed daughter right exactly yeah harrowed isn't a word yeah Yeah. when you were when you were doing this research on on madeline and just before you even started writing was there anything that you found i mean not like not even like groundbreaking historically but anything that you found out about her that you thought was like really interesting or just like a personal detail about her that was like oh that's really cool um I thought the bit about the Zingara was very interesting about mm-hmm. the fact that she and Jack actually rescued those bankers on a sloop mm-hmm. before Titanic. I thought I was like, really, really? And she was quoted in the paper saying, I, it was so exciting. I've never seen a shipwreck before. And I was like, Oh God. You poor thing. <laughs> uh, and the bit about Kitty running away in Egypt. When I wrote that, that actually happened too. Um, mm-hmm. When I wrote that, I was, I was, I, you can, Listeners, you can't tell, but I have a lot of dogs in the room, even with me. <laughs> but at this moment, there's one on my lap. They're in the background. Oh. They're everywhere. Anyway, I was writing about Kitty. Hi, and... puppy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I don't hold her, she cries. Oh. Um... <laughs> what was, oh, I, I was saying. Kitty, yes, the dog, Kitty ran away. A bit about Kitty getting lost um, really tugged at me emotionally as I was writing it. And then as I was writing her rescue, even I was feeling like, oh, thank God, Kitty's okay. And then I'm like, oh no, Kitty's going on Titanic. It's going to be really bad. So um, that part I thought was pretty interesting. A lot of people said, Kitty the dog, oh yes, Kitty. Every picture I found of Madeline and Jack outside while they were courting um, and then while they were engaged, every one of them pretty much had Kitty somewhere in it. And at first, you, sometimes you might not even notice her. It'll just be like her tail behind Jack's leg. Sure. Her face peeking around him, you know, but she stayed with them all the time. So the kitty part really affected me. Um, not that the people didn't, but um, <laughs> what else did I find surprising about Madeline? Let me think. 
Um, you know, I don't know if, what I found surprising. I just found her interesting. I found Ooh, interesting her- then. What are some interesting things about her as a human? I like human stories, like, even silly ones. My favorite story that I've heard so far on the show is about the Paracchio brothers and the tie and silk um, flower that were made for them by their mother. It's like little personal stories. Um, oh, yeah. If you have, have you, if you haven't heard that story, it super quickly, they were, um, they worked at the a la carte restaurant on Titanic. And before they left, their mom made one of them a silk um, rose, I think in the other a silk tie and told them wear these whenever you're happy, or if you get your photo taken so that you can have a picture with them. And they did, there is photos of both of them wearing them. And unfortunately both of them passed on the Titanic, but I like that story because it's, yeah. well, you know, it shows that they had a nice relationship with their mom. Yes, yes. I, I that is a sweet story. I did not know that one. Um, I guess what I found about interesting about Madeline is that she was perceived to be one thing, but in reality, she must have been something very different. She was perceived to be this weak, pretty, vapid girl who um, who married for money. When in fact, I think she was intelligent, athletic, in love, and genuinely. I don't want to say destroyed entirely, but her life was never the same and her love was never the same. And she, Mm -hmm. she never really recovered from that. And that's what a lot of people said about her. Um, I thought it was interesting that at five months pregnant, she helped row away from the ship and she helped row back. I mean, rowing is hard. Yeah. Rowing is hard and she was five months pregnant, but she was one of the people who could do it. So she did it. And, um, I'm like, well, that's pretty heroic. Mm -hmm. So, um, Anyway, uh, I think the press came around to her in a less than genuine way mm-hmm. after after Titanic, but it still was a closer approximation of who she really was than what they were calling her before. Mm-hmm. So Madeline was a, a, a complex person. She she made good choices. She made bad choices, just like all of us. And uh, I tried to portray her in a very human way in the story because she wasn't just this caricature and neither mm-hmm. was he even though it would be very easy and very lazy to, to paint them in those colors. I don't, I don't think they were like that at all. So. Did you see, I have, I will also admit that I have not seen this film in its entirety. Um, the 1979 movie SOS Titanic. I have, I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen it in its entirety either. So two. Yeah. I was gonna say they, they, um, they follow a variety of people, but two of the people they follow are the Astors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing that and, and thinking, I think that's the one where at some point she's talking to some other character and she's, the character was like, oh, I don't know what to do about my love. Why is it working out for you and Jack? And then some, she says something like, oh yes, Jack's sons have finally accepted me. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Jack doesn't have sons at this point. He's got one boy and no, he never accepted her. So, I mean, I started to get a little frustrated. And I think that's the, the danger of the more you do the research, the more you know, the more you're like, that's not true. Don't do right. it like that. <laughs> I think that movie made me laugh my head off for way too many reasons. But one of them was that there was there was two things about the portrayal of Madeline and Jack. And I'll, and I will, again, I have not seen this movie through in its entirety. So I could yeah. be wrong. Number one and number two, I kind of wasn't paying all that much attention. But there was a scene that I remember where the two of them were in their cabins. 
And I remember the scene in particular because they made her look really young, which was actually yeah. something I I liked because some of the other portrayals kind of try to age her up and they try to age him down a little bit. But this was very much like this is what a man of that time would have, you know, maybe looked like um, the costuming was completely out of their minds, though. But one thing that I noticed about their interactions was that it was very sincere and warm between the two yeah. actors. Yeah. At if least this is the one I'm thinking of. I think they made him look like he was in his 60s. He definitely looked a bit like Chopin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. We were talking about the same one. I uh, think so, yeah. <laughs> it had, cl- um, oh, mother of God. Cloris Leachman, was she in it? Or is or am I messing it up with somebody else? I think it was Cloris Leachman. I think you might be right. But she I'm looked sorry. a bit like, like she said, was. I've only seen pieces of it, so. Well, she was pretty memorable. She's wearing a crazy, she was wearing some crazy ensemble and acting a lot like what I imagine, like a caricature of a cabaret lady would be but like dressed up of that time it was really interesting was she behavior supposed to be margaret brown yes oh god that's so offensive <laughs> i mean i'm, I'm a college how did college you know <laughs> i started going to the molly brown house museum when i was in elementary school they call it that because that's what uh-huh. people know her by these days yeah but yeah I, like i hear the cameron movie and and the they all called her molly said, they all called her molly i'm like no you don't no you yeah. didn't And that's another one of those weird Cameron facts that, like, they stick with people. Yeah. yeah. Because that movie was so rooted in fact that everything was treated as a fact. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I know why he did it. Sure. Because even my even my editor, when I turned in my manuscript, she's like, "Margaret Brown? Are you trying to say Molly Brown?" I'm like, "Yes, that's who you think she is, but she's Margaret Brown." Yeah. Molly, it, that, for any listener who doesn't know, she only became Molly in in, uh, in post um, postmortem in the fifties, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, well, it was just one of the interesting things that, like I said, so much else about that movie was well researched. Right. That yeah. things that it happened with Murdoch as well, and that's actually what got me into Titanic. Was you know I watched the movie, I like Murdoch a lot, and then oh, he took a bribe and then killed a man and shot himself. Isn't that a tragic story? And then I just kind of moved along with my life. And then later on, I realized that that was embellished for the film. And it's kind of like, well, here I was just thinking that that was a fact. And it didn't it didn't affect my opinion of 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 the man. You know, it's it's also it was 80. It had been 84 years (laughs) since it happened. But, you know, it was like. It didn't make me think, ah, damn, what an asshole. I was, it was mostly just like, well, that's sad. And oof, what a horrible way to go out. But then I got older and realized that that may not have been the truth. And the same way, same thing with the Molly thing, where I'm just kind of like, see, it's these little tiny details where even though it's not, does it really matter whether we called her Margaret or Molly? I suppose in the grand scheme of things, no, but it is important to have the details right because they build credence for the other parts exactly exactly and i understand what cameron did and why he did yeah. it but i also knew that there was no way i was going to do that and right you know people if you don't know who margaret brown is just google it <laughs> it's not hard she survived the titanic yeah margaret yeah. brown titanic it, it's pretty easy <laughs> but i imagine that that's probably pretty hard to whenever you write anything titanic related especially after 97 98 is that it does inherently draw cameron yeah. comparisons yeah I, 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 I was a little bit like to the, to the publishers. I'm like, you really, you want to, you want to revisit Titanic? Okay. And I think actually it turned out for me to be a very good thing. And I think the, the enormous impact that the movie Cameron's movie had on, on the market and on 
say social consciousness made a lot of writers fiction writers like me just go oh I don't want to touch that it's it's basically done you know but fortunately for me it wasn't all done and I was able to find Madeline and Jack two people who were super famous and super scandalous and had a very interesting and and very sad story together and it hadn't been told yet so I got I got very lucky honestly (laughs) and I know that I have a a bit of a non-Titanic, but more of a writing question. When so, I don't do historical fiction personally. I I I think it's it's like it's too hard. There's research, and I have to make sure everything's true. Ugh. But how do you how do you go about starting the process of creating historical fiction, knowing that you will have to change little things here and there just to make it your own? Like, where do you make those decisions, or do you not make those decisions, and you're just like, I'm only going to go off the facts. I'm not going to embellish at all. It depends on um, it depends on your subject. Obviously, with Titanic, there. there's, as you know, a ton of information out there about it. Some of it is credible, some of it isn't. So also true. Be, yeah, you have to be very careful that you're using something that is reliable instead of just people speculating about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Madeline, like I said, for a certain period of her life, she was extremely well documented in the papers, and I was able mm-hmm. to go off that. But once they went on their honeymoon. I didn't have a record of where they went. I had records of where other people went. And so I retraced their footsteps there. And mm-hmm. I, I made sure the hotels were real and, you know, the the boats were real and the ruins were real with the real things at the ruins and things like that, that they would have seen. So you, you fill in the gaps that you don't have using, you know, your best hypothesis, basically. Um, you have to walk this fine line between I want to create an interesting story but I want it to be an accurate, interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like uh, for my next upcoming book, which is not Titanic related, mm-hmm. it was a different lady and her her later years were extremely well-documented and her past was extremely obscured on purpose. She she basically erased all mentions of her from, from the time she was born till the time she was, um, well, a wealthy man's mistress. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I had to, dig very deep to figure out what she likely what her life had likely been like before she sort of catapulted into infamy um there's no records to say that i'm wrong (laughs) but there's no records to say that i'm right either but it is my best guess and it it is rooted in accuracy of what could have happened so to answer your question it depends on your topic Mm -hmm. and it depends on how far you're willing to go like i tried to make everything in the second disaster true i I actually can't think of anything that i made up Um, Mm -hmm. It was all true. Um, just conversations. Obviously, I have to generate those with right. imagination, but things like that. But the facts and the events were all there. So. I imagine that sometimes it's just superfluous details that you make up. Things like what the room may have looked like, or what flowers might have been in a vase, or right. yes. what color somebody's dress was. Exactly. That stuff is unless you have photographic sure. evidence. In 1912, there wasn't a lot of that, but um, or no. just letters and things. But yeah, stuff like that. Um, like, I didn't know exactly what Madeline would be wearing at any given time. So I went off um, the Titanic style book. I, think mm-hmm. I mentioned it in my author's notes. Anyway, they have Charlotte Cardace's list of everything that sunk in her trunks on Titanic. And it was like, it was a total boon for me because I, I knew exactly what fashionable ladies would be wearing, where they got it, and how much it cost. Yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that. 
It's interesting because um, I think I saw something online that said like a historian's be- um, like best find is the journal of a nosy neighbor yeah. because they document all those mundane details of, you know, I was thinking the other day about like if suddenly, you know, if, if like if, if we vanished today and suddenly a hundred years from now, someone walked into our house and they saw a bunch of stuff that was here, it's like, would they know like what it was? Or, you know, because things may have changed since then, because uh, I don't remember the example that I saw somewhere, but it was something like ancient Romans, they or some society had three shakers on their table, salt, pepper, and an unidentified third one. But no one knows what it is, because whatever it was was just so common, people didn't specify what it was. It was just like the third shaker, because everyone was just like, yeah, that's the Hickmull spice or whatever it was. But like, <laughs> it's so common, you just don't write it down. Yeah. yeah. Or they solve the mystery of this. I think this one is definitively Roman where they couldn't figure out how they made this particular cement because they would replicate the recipe and it just said water. But then finally someone was like, they lived by the sea, add seawater. And they did. And they went, oh, God. But no one wrote down seawater because at the time it was like, well, we don't have filtered water. What other water are we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Little tiny historical things that you, you unearth and you're like, oh, that's interesting. So yeah, I had to um, I had to learn a lot about Bar Harbor for this book, and I've never been to Bar Harbor, but fortunately there is a historical society there, and they have tons of postcards from the era and interesting images and, and the history of the town, so uh, I learned a lot that I did not know before. That's really so awesome. that's always fun. I like stuff like that, learning new things. So do I. You, you said during those time periods that when she was really well-documented, what was she, I mean, obviously she was well-documented. What was she doing during those times? Just living her life? She was, uh, during those times, I'm saying, I'm talking in particular about right after, right as the engagement mm-hmm. was announced. Um, suddenly she was living her life, but her life was like going shopping or going to have breakfast somewhere or going with her sister somewhere. I mean, it was what you would consider it to be until mm-hmm. she got a little bit cannier and they started slipping out, you know, trying to get around without the press finding them. Like right before they got married, they really, the whole family just did this kind of sneaky number to get onto Jack's yacht because the press was, you know, on top of everything. They all scattered and went different directions and then met on the yacht. (laughs) (laughs) So, and so really by the time the press figured out what was going on, the yacht was safe. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. But they were, of course, waiting for them at his at his escape. At the port. Anyway, but still. The, um, yeah, their escape was to get on the yacht. And I don't blame them for wanting to just get, get away from everybody and get away from all that constant attention and people shouting questions at her and trying to describe what she was wearing and if she smiled or if she didn't smile or, you know, what she was doing. and Was she worthy of him or was he a terrible person for doing this? You know, I can imagine oh, uh... she needed that escape. Yes. How how long were they actually married? Because seven, it, it, seven months. I was going to say it was not a very long time. No. It's it's pretty sad to think about. Yeah, I'm sure that. I mean, of course, I'm sure. Nobody thought that Jack would die so quickly in the marriage, and that is reflected in the prenuptial agreement that she signed, and the money she ended up getting after he died, and the money that her child Jakey ended up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, he only got $300,000 out of all the millions and Vincent got most of it. But um, I'm sure I want to think that Jack would have gone back and revisited that will or, you know, that that proviso and given Jakey more money. 
but it was just it was just the prenuptial thing saying any child I may have will get this amount. Mm-hmm. But it was just a speculation thing. So yeah. Seven months, not a very long time. Still definitely literally in your honeymoon phase. Yeah, seriously. And especially after he just, you know, she just entered society. He just left a marriage. I'm sure that it was kind of almost like a double reawakening for, you know, both of them. It's like, we just, we just hit the scene and now we're in a great relationship. It's like, wow, this is great. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> so people should stop saying that. <laughs> it's like, you're not allowed to say that out loud anymore. Oh, that's the other thing um, that I learned that I did not know before is that, um, on their their trip to Egypt, Margaret Brown really did go with them, and she was yeah. a good friend of theirs. And I was so happy to learn that after going to the Margaret Brown house so many times. I didn't. I guess I knew it before, but maybe I just forgot because I was a kid. But I'm like, oh, <laughs> Margaret Brown, you, you rock! So I was happy to be able to include her prominently in the story because Margaret seemed very cool, all accounts. Yeah. yeah, I think she was definitely a hero. It, it was. It... <sighs> It definitely said something of the time to be, you know, of new money yourself and to be the one you broke the social barrier yourself. And now you're breaking the other ones. You're going to socialize with the divorcee. You're going to socialize with his new wife. Quite the scandal. Yeah, It's, you know, all these things that you're going to do. And she's just like, what are you going to do? Sue me. Go for it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, she, it's not illegal to do what she was doing. No, it's just unpopular. Yeah. And, not the norm. Yeah. Well, they touched on that slightly in oh man i think it was sos satanic who who was the guy with the mistress madame aubert uh, was that guggenheim? Uh, guggenheim yes okay because there was a scene in the in in sos titanic where like um guggenheim and astor sit together at a bar and he's like i'm glad you're not forsaking me and guggenheim's like why would i we're both men in a similar position and they like cheers to being you know off cast <laughs> it's a very interesting situation but it yeah. does kind it did kind of like I don't necessarily think that there would have been public declarations or snubs of Astor. I, I think socially of the time it would not have been acceptable. I did read an anecdote that um after the divorce he one of the society hostesses to a party he went to had somebody sit by him that she knew was his friend. She's like I don't want anybody to cut him, so will you stay with him and just make sure that he's going to be all right. So, yeah. That surprises me, if only because people, especially at that time, reputation in society was everything. It just, I personally would not risk snubbing the Astors. I just don't (laughs) think that I would do. I don't think that I'd want to be the one to do it. Even if, even if Jack was a good guy, I'd be like, nah, man, I am not putting out the snub on Jack Astor. It's just like, I'm not going to do that. Even if I didn't like him, it'd be like, "Uh, of the time, I'm, I'm simply baffled because you just didn't do that. Right. Yeah. And, but, you know, but it, that scene in the movie made me consider, it's like, even if they didn't do it in public, I'm sure that there were a lot of people that were very like, whisper, 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 whisper yes, about it. Yes. There's no question about that. Yeah. And the tabloids kept whipping that up over and over again. So he wasn't getting away from that. So, sucks. Yeah. I mean, again, even no matter if you think that anyone deserves that or not, you know, like whether or not you agree with a person or is like you agree with this decision to date someone that young or whatever, whether you agree with it, it's like, I don't necessarily know. There's not many people in this world that I would say deserve to be hounded and dragged through the mud. There are some people. Yeah. There are definitely some people where it's like, you are getting what you deserve. Exactly. But for the most part, I start to, I, even I start to think that at a certain point, I'm like, I think that the punishment of harassing certain people far outweighs whatever perceived crime. 
yeah that yeah. that's been a, that that has occurred you can go too far that's for mm-hmm. sure yeah and it's just social bullying again and that's a problem everywhere we saw that happening and i think we've only recently begun to talk about in the past 10 years or so with the everything that happened to monica Lewinsky. yes 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 poor monica Lewinsky. Poor Monica Lewinsky, indeed. And, you know, and even I, you know, the whole thing happened when I was like eight or nine years old. So I was a child. And, but, you know, the way it was handled, I kind of grew up thinking that, you know, Monica Lewinsky was a bad, it's bad name. It's bad name. It's bad thing. You do bad things if you're a Monica Lewinsky or a bad person. Yeah. And then I got older and I, you know, some sort of a sexual joke kind of thing. Yeah. And then I got older and I turned 23. And then I got older than 23. Yeah. And now I'm 10 years past 23, which is not old. Again, I just, I want to impact that. I'm not trying to be like, look at me and my sage wisdom. It's just 10 years <laughs> is a long, it's a, it's a far away from, 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 um, from any age. People took advantage of me a lot when I was in my twenties. Yeah. You know, I was sexually assaulted in my early twenties. You know, I, you know, there's a lot, but this is the kind of things where, you know, or I would be dismissed by people just cause you know, you're a young girl in a, in a public situation, you'd make an opinion and people would just like, <laughs> completely 180 that one they're like and you're going out the window um but it's that sort of dismissiveness about it and I just remember thinking they were really mean can you imagine like I've been in a situation where it's been hard to say no and it was not the president of the United States this was someone who was like just in the grand in the scheme of you know in the sliding scale of power if the president is at 100 we're dealing with a human being like me that is in the twos and the threes in terms of impact and I can only imagine what it must be like to have not only it's not your boss it's not your boss's boss it's your boss's 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 boss this is the president of our country yeah and you're just supposed to be like Mr. President you're a married man that is so unprofessional I cannot believe you would approach me in such a way I'm horrified and I am leaving yeah like that's the kind of thing that happens in a lifetime film, but in real life, you don't no. think like that. And then we yanked her by the hair through the mud yeah, over and over and over and over and over again. And it's just at a certain point, it's like, even if you are, you are so moral that you think adultery is the worst thing you can do and that both parties should be punished. You have to think it's like, did she deserve all that? No. Did she? that was a lot that's more than anyone should ask to go through it's Mm -hmm. it's very clearly victim blaming i'm really glad that she's turned out she's come out on the other side and is Mm -hmm. doing apparently well i don't i don't know her that well i don't know her at all really but you know she seems like she's doing well and i'm happy same i think i saw her on um john oliver's when she did an interview and she was saying that somebody once wrote a tweet that was like who the hell is monica Lewinsky?" she wrote back saying i'm the person that hundreds of rap songs have been written about And she said she once went to a 90s party, like many, 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 many years later. And finally, for the first time in her life, she put on a little black beret and went for a 90s party. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, it's incredible to be someone who goes through something like that and comes out on the other side. And I'm I'm bringing that up because what happened to Monica Lewinsky is an extreme example. Most most people do, do not end up tangling with massive political powers and scandals. Um, but it is similar in a way to what happened to Madeline and that yes. her only crime was getting married. Yes. Yes. Well, That's not the crime, I, crime in quotation marks. No, no, I know. I, I, I agree with you exactly. I think the crime would be that she fell in love with this rich, older, powerful man and then married him. Uh, what a yeah. hussy. 
<laughs> exactly. Yes, she, you know, and she didn't need the money. I said I said a misogynistic word, and my dog's yelling at me about it. Good girl. I don't. It was a joke. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, no, but yeah, I. Uh, it just it seemed as you said the crime was I fell in love with somebody. Yes, yes, that's your horrible thing that you've done, and that's why you deserve to be hounded for the rest of your life, which she was. Yeah. Let's just. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot to say about that too. Has an opinion about this, my he God. Has an opinion about Mrs. Astor, which is you know, but I, but clearly you did too, in 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 a way, and, and that's a good thing in its own way. Because as I keep saying over and over on the show, it, Titanic is a human story, and Madeline was one yeah. of those humans. Yes, exactly. And oh my God, one I'm going to try to yell this story if she keeps barking, <laughs> just because it's kind of important. But I went to a Titanic convention last. August. I say convention, but it was more like a conference. And I don't say that to be derogatory, but just to give an idea of the scope of the size, it was a smaller, more, more intimate thing. So there's about 25 to 30 people total. And one of them was Paul Burns, who does a lot of work with the museum and with artifacts and curation. And he brought for us to see Madeline's life vest. So is princess. Um, but I think what there was a couple things that I found so interesting. Princess. Really? <laughs> About I'm this life. My dogs aren't barking at your dog. <laughs> I think maybe they're just as appalled by her behavior as I am. Um, but I think what, there was something that surprised me, and this is why I, I feel as though historical fiction and portrayals of history are important, is that I had never considered what a lifeboat. You know, give me one second. I'm gonna put this dog outside. Okay, no problem. You, you're done. Well, go out, out the door. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Funny, says I didn't even hear her come in, so that surprised <laughs> me. But um, I'm I'm a very visual person, and I've you know I've been boating or what have you before, and had like a, a life vest on or what have you, and it's you know foamy and puffy and made out of that uncomfortable fabric mm-hmm. i had never seen in person really a lifeboat from belt from 1912 firstly it was small it was smaller than i thought it was going to be was it? and yes it was narrower than I, oh narrow yeah I can, I can it was narrower that. than i thought like if i put it on viewers who can't see me you normally you wear a vest and it kind of goes into your armpits uh-huh. if i had put on her life belt i think it would have been sort of like right in the middle of my chest it was much smaller and it was made out of very firm cork yeah I have thought the cork would have more give bit like an egg carton stiff Mm. but a little bit of a little bit of give it was very very hard and the canvas was scratchy um I had the privilege of I asked if I could touch it because I am a tactile human they said yes um, and I almost awesome. absolutely ruined it because they were like, yeah, it's preserved so well because, you know, didn't go in the water. You know, Madeline made it into a lifeboat. She did not get into the water. There was no seawater on it. And I almost cried on it, which would have, you know, instantly undid all of that preservation work. <laughs> but it was really interesting to look at and see just how much things have changed. Like as something as silly as a life vest yeah. has changed so profoundly. And not only that, but this, Madeline's life vest didn't necessarily save her life. She got into a lifeboat. She was very fortunate. But there were many other people whose 
survival was hinged on something that small. Yeah, yeah. I think I made a point of saying that at some point in the story that, you know, it wasn't reassuring that the last thing between the people on this beautiful ship and death was tree bark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe the purpose because it was gold. I mean, I, honestly, I, I just knew it was cork. And so for me, I, like you, I envision cork as having a little squish to it, but maybe not. It did not. I will also say this was hundred some year old yeah. uh, cork. So right. it could have, and I also, I didn't, it was a historical artifact. I did not give it a great squeeze. I, I did. <laughs> not a big old honk and squeeze. No, I didn't pick it up and huh, huh. It wasn't very, it wasn't that. I wasn't, it wasn't, it was not at a strip club. It was very much like a very awkward poke. Just right. kind of was like, I was like, what is this like? And then I was very surprised. I was like, wait, this feels more like the pages of a book. Huh. That's interesting. Very dense, extremely uncomfortable. So you're the only person I've ever known who has um, actually seen her vest in person and touched it. That's awesome. That was a pretty wild experience. And like I said, I definitely almost ruined it. Um, <laughs> but just weeping all over it. Because it was like, oh my God. I have tackled you before you wept over it. <laughs> I don't I think they might have just laughed at me, honestly. <laughs> Look at that loser. Uh, it, 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 was, it was interesting because in the same way that when I read, you know, something like your book, it just, it brings these things into my mind and makes it easier to understand. I'm like, oh, this is what a life fest was like. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't this pliable pseudo uncomfortable thing. It was, it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. It was inflex, it was as, as inflexible <laughs> as it could be. And you know it and you know you read your story and I have to remember it's like she was 19 years old she wasn't used to this world and you know every Actually, it, she was 18 on Titanic she was right. 19 when she gave birth to Jakey yeah still, still young yeah this young this, you know? <laughs> exactly this young woman who just in in that glowing hope of life I know that's a really weird way of saying it but it's like you're 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 old enough where you're like I'm going to balls and I it's like I get to drink it I get to drink champagne instead of the grown-ups table now like I'm I'm a I'm a a woman I'm on the scene things are happening for me and it's it I like reading historical fiction sometimes I find textbooks a little dry so I really like reading books like like yours because it helps me also to picture that world better but it connects you to the people that were there and I didn't know a lot about Madeline and I'd never this is going to sound like a strange sentence but I'd never considered her as a person yeah well I mean she she was very much in the shadow of her extremely famous husband I mean Mm -hmm. you say John Jacob Astor people know who that is usually you know and then if you say and who was his wife they're like um uh." Mrs. Astor (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) They know who his mother was. If they know the era, they know Lena Astor, the Mrs. Astor, and they know Jack. And if they know even more about that, then they know about Ava because she was a Mm -hmm. social, very socially prominent person as well. But then what people know about Madeline is just, if they know anything, it's usually just like, oh, she was so young and what were they doing being married and how dare they? And, you know, that's about it. So, but there's, you know, they were human beings, like you said, and they, they had intricate an intricate and tragic and beautiful story that I felt would make, I, I, I enjoyed researching it, even though it was ultimately very sad. Yeah. I enjoyed getting to know them as human beings. And I tried to make their humanity come across on the page instead of making them just caricatures. I think you did. Pretty trophy bride, you know. Because it, it would have been easy to do that. 
Yeah, I think easy and lazy. Yeah, easy and lazy, and it also it turns it into its own trope to be like. Yes, you're basically writing a historical version of the Playboy Mansion story at that point in time, where it's like this the stereotypical old lech and and the hot young girl. I mean, it's been told over and over and over again. But there, as you know, we discussed, there are examples of people that do, you know, meet and have genuine love stories. And yes, it's not common. And if you are 19 and a 46 year old comes up to you and says that you're beautiful, would you like to go for a ride? You say no and you run away. <laughs> um, Except consider their circumstances. She knew who he was. He wasn't a stranger. And- I was going to say, if it's not a stranger, it's, it's different. Like consider the yeah. people. But then if it turns out that this man is actually really, really nice and he's respectful and just wanted directions, you don't need yes. to run away. But, you know, yeah. use your diligence and. You know, I always feel like I have to, as a, an adult in 2023, I'm like, please say responsible things online, <laughs> including like, if you're a teenager, please don't go chasing after people intentionally in their 40s and 50s. Um, but in their case, and in, you know, some cases there are, you know, obviously those love stories that do manage to make it succeed. And at least the way that it was described historically and the way that I read it in your book, it did seem like they were just two people that happened to find each other. And it's it's really unfortunate that it didn't last yeah, you know, it's and we don't know what would have happened if it had lasted. I mean, exactly. It's like Romeo and Juliet. You don't know how it would have turned out had they lived. Right. And I oh, think people yeah. always like to, they always like to ask me, like, do you think Jack and Rose would have made it? And it's like, I I mean, using my best guess, I think so, because they're open communicators. Um, they're both pretty honest, but also they didn't. They didn't. I mean, there's no way of knowing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, we don't know. I would like to think that they they would have lasted. Not well, me too. And, I mean, Jack and Rose, sure, I don't care. But <laughs> about Jack and Jack and Maddie. <laughs> I called her Maddie. Just Maddie, my bestie. <laughs> I have a friend named Maddie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> Before I let you go, did you learn any little things about Madeline about her personality? Like, I don't know, did she like tea or coffee, or did she like sweets, or is she a cat or a dog person? I think she was a dog person and a horse person. She loved riding. Um, like I said, I mentioned briefly, she was athletic. She, yeah. she liked canoeing. She liked riding. She loved tennis. Um, the canoeing would make sense where she knew how to row. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was one of the socially acceptable recreational things that you could do on a, a, a date. I'm using finger quotes, whatever you want to call it. Boating. Moment uh, in, in Bar Harbor is that you mm-hmm. could get some alone time on the canoe out, you know, in the harbor or, or on the river or wherever, you know, um, so they definitely did that. Um, yeah, I just, I, did I learn? I don't know. I mean, the more I learned about her, the more I'm like, what a cool person and sure. what an interesting life she led. And yeah, you know, hmm. she made mistakes. We all make mistakes. Everyone does. I think that she genuinely loved him. Uh, like I like I said, she was already wealthy. She didn't need his money. She was already a debutante. She was from a very good family, so she didn't need more social exposure. She would have been fine if she'd never married at all. She she could have just gone on and lived her happy life and still had a very luxurious and wonderful life. I think she was in love. Um, I think that's the inter- the interesting test about it too is that yeah. she didn't need it. She didn't need it. So why bother with all the headache that would come with dating someone like Jack Astor? unless you were seriously committed to that relationship if you didn't want to yeah yeah so she must have been even though she was sheltered and even though she was badgered she she a bit like monica Lewinsky came out on the other side holding up her head high and and just saying this is my life and 
and and I'm going to claim it. And if you don't like me, okay. So good on her. I think she would have made a very formidable modern woman. Yes, I agree. I know that sounds a little odd, but it sounds like she had the, she was, you said she's athletic. She had ideas. She wanted to do things. Yeah. Um, and as you said, she didn't need, she wasn't chasing resources. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. awesome. I think she would have been just thinking sort of out loud. It's like, I think about people like, you know, her and the revolutionary figures of that time, especially women of that time, when it wasn't acceptable to be <clears throat> independent and strong and all of these horrible things that made you like, I don't know, some sort of like terrible spinster or, you know, whatever the case may be. I always do find it impressive whenever I hear about people who are that despite their circumstances, it's like, shut up. I'm going to get in a canoe and ride this horse (laughs) and you can wait for me (laughs) if you're mad about it. It's just not how women were at that time. And it's, it's, I, I I have a special attraction to the figures that are kind of like, I don't like your rules. I will, I will live by, by the way that I want. And it seems like, you know, even though she, you know, obviously lived by society, it seems like Madeline was a young woman of her own mind. Exactly. Oh, that's very well put. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Shana, thank you so much for coming on and dealing with my weird tech issues. I know it's fine. I'm so glad it worked out. <laughs> Me too. I am. I'm really excited. Before I, I, I don't normally badger people about it, but do you want to? Do you do you want to tell me what your upcoming book's about? Sure, I'll tell you. Um, it is about Arabella Huntington. Um, That's a semi-familiar name. Um, if you've ever been to the Huntington Botanical Memorial Gardens in Pasadena, you know of that. Um, Arabella was first married to Collis Potter Huntington, one of the big four, the railroad barons. First, she was his mistress. Then she married him. That's the right kind of upgrade. Yeah. Then (laughs) after he died, she married his nephew. (laughs) (laughs) She had a very interesting life. At one point, she was the wealthiest woman in Gilded Age America. So um, when she married his nephew, nephew, I should say, they were the same age. So this is another story. Uh. (laughs) People who don't like this age difference are still not going to like it. But this guy was still 30 years older than her when they met. And she became his mistress. That's pretty normal. Yeah. I, I mean, I say no, I'm saying that as though we should let it be cool. It's like it, it was kind of the the uh, the it was bigger of the time. Yes, you have to accept that it was it was something that happened back then that probably wouldn't happen today because we have evolved. But back then, this did happen. And Very commonly, people didn't go like, "Oh my God, how dare you have a mistress!" I mean. It just happened. He was a very, very wealthy man with a teenage mistress who bore him a child even. Uh, so it's about Arabella and mm-hmm. her life. She survived the Civil War as a teenager in the South. And uh, that's where she met Collis. And it was a, she, she was a very interesting, formidable woman as well. Um, awesome. She definitely went and lived her life as she wanted because 400 never accepted her because she was openly his, his mistress. So even after they got married, they were shunned. <laughs> but she became a fabulous art collector and her jewelry became, uh, after her death, Harry Winston bought all of her jewels and it became like the beginning of his empire. That's how he started. Wow. Her, her art is in the Met and in California and San Francisco. She was a huge collector and a huge philanthropist. Yes. What is, what's your book she called? She was a teenage mistress. <laughs> was her life, what is your book called? I was a teenage mistress. Cause that's a great title. <laughs> what? Why did I think of that? <laughs> 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 no, it's called, 
gonna, I'm claiming that. <laughs> it's yours. It'll be our episode title. I was a teenage mistress. Dealing with your free time. Nothing. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh no, it's called An American Beauty. <laughs> but I that's think actually a good title better. too. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my goodness. I I am excited for that. I, as I said, I have a bit of a. Th- um, thing for like the strong strong historical women um obviously because i'm you know i'm a brat myself but i'm really interested in those stories because it's those people especially that you look back now it's like you made way yeah for us to be how we are yeah yeah she was definitely a a force of nature she she just blazed her own trail because she knew she would never be accepted and she frankly had the the money to do whatever the hell she wanted so she did (laughs) You know what? Go for it, Arabella. Yeah. Yeah. If you can if you can afford it, do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Shana, thank you so so much for coming on. I'm I'm honored to have you. <laughs> I'm so happy to 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 be here with you. It's been so much fun. You really need to be laugh. <laughs> well, I'm glad that, that that was accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shana was a delight, and I hope that all of you agree with me and really want to check her work out and her book. I really personally, you know, this is just something that I'm just going to say as um, a person who likes reading and who likes to write in their spare time, like a lot of fiction can be really hard to consume sometimes, especially when you're busy, but Shana has a really easy writing style. So if you're looking for something super easy to read, like a kind of pleasure read, definitely check out The Second Mrs. Astor, which is the book that we talked about a lot on the show today. You can go on her website to find out more about her and her work and to buy her book. Um, that's Shana Abe, um, S-H-A-N-A-A-B-E dot com. And you can find her on Facebook. That is facebook.com slash Shana Abe and twitter.com slash Shana underscore Abe. Again, all spelled the same way, S-H-A-N-A underscore A-B-E. Thank you once again, Shana, for coming on, talking about your book and your research. I hope you all decide to check it out. And I will see you guys in the next one. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!